This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are talking about a failure of hospitality. You threw another one of your parties again, didn't you, Rick? Not for a couple of weeks, anyway. <laughs> and the complaints have died down, and we've moved on. <laughs> um, no, this is about restaurant wine lists. Oh, boy. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we are talking about the kinds of wine lists that fail completely at their jobs, which is... Help the rest of us have a nice time. A listener asks, what the heck does terroir mean? We'll tell you what wine cost at the Copacabana in 1943. Nice. Hint, not a lot. And as usual, we'll make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're talking about something that is way more common than it should be, which is impenetrable wine lists. You know, Rick, I've heard people say that your brain is impenetrable. I've I've heard that too, but I didn't understand it. So, <laughs> All right. excellent. Bad wine lists, however, are not supposed to be. <laughs> so let's talk about some bad wine lists. And they actually they fall in a, a few categories, and we're going to split them up through the show. But there's um, one or two in particular that are, are a heck of annoying. So the first one is just those humongous wine lists, those giant leather-bound, thousand-wine wine list kinds of things. Right, the ones that actually hurt your back when you pick them up. Yeah. It's, and then you're not ordering the wine you want to drink. You're just ordering one that you think will have the best analgesic effect. Right, and then, and then you can't can't take, you know, uh, uh, half the drugs because you had too much wine. You know, I actually think those wine lists do serve one good purpose because for many consumers who are first getting into wine, they find the choice of wines at a local supermarket overwhelming. And yet some people in the industry who consider themselves experts always make fun of those people and say, how can you be overwhelmed? Well, give one of those people one of those really massive wine lists, and they're just as overwhelmed as anybody else. Yeah. And that's a that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there's really a simple way to deal with those, by the way. The good news about a place that's got a massive wine list, it almost always has a wine person running around the floor somewhere. It does. And and you say, help me, please help and me. And if you have a wine you like, there's a really good chance it's on it's the gonna list. It's going to be on there, yeah. There you yeah, go. Yeah. What else do you want? Yeah, and don't and just don't worry about all the things you don't know, which is pretty much how you and I operate. <laughs> <laughs> Recipe right. for unsuccess. Right. <laughs> Number two kind of really awful list is, and these are, this is the worst, and we're going to spend some time on this in a minute, which is that most people don't know the wines, and the list doesn't help you when you don't know the wines. Right, great. And, and, okay. then, yeah. and then the number three, we'll talk about that a bit later in the show, is, and this is less common, but it happens, which is the restaurant is kind of tricking you. It's, hmm. you know, it's they're overpriced some things and some others, but yep. we'll, we'll get to yep. that in a minute. I, okay, I got um, stories about those. Yeah. Yeah. So, so which, what do you want to talk about? Well, first? I want to start by reading a few sentences from uh, a writer I've come to really like uh, by reading her stuff. She's a restaurant critic from the LA Weekly, mm-hmm. um, and Good. she had this to say about a place in LA and the wine guy there, who she says she likes as a wine guy. She, okay, she says Good. you'll be presented with two documents when you sit. One of them, a long food menu. The other, a piece of paper that appears to be a wine list. It's a little hard to tell. Ouch. <laughs> she said it was closer to an effort at performance art and called it a hostile document and a failure of hospitality. Wow. And she was talking about that that category two, the unfathomable list that you don't know. And, and, and it doesn't help you ex- understand anything. And it, yeah, it, it applies, you know, that that in, in so many ways. Um, so so, you know, like we talked about that first, at least with that long 
which that long wine list can actually, those descriptions could apply to those too, a hostile document, a failure, yeah. or a hospital, where they're not trying so much to make you feel comfortable. They're trying to show you how much they know. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm, I, I'm a little more forgiving of those because here's a guy who loves wine, adores wine, opens a restaurant, and wants to give his customers the opportunity to order any wine in his cellar, and he puts out this mammoth list. Of course, the average consumer walks in there and says, do you have any Chardonnay? Yeah. But even so, I don't want to criticize this guy for doing I, it. I, I'm just saying me that too. in I'm that with you. scenario— yeah. You need somebody to help people navigate that. Yeah, I, and, That's kind of like way, giving people an eight-foot sailboat and then saying, do you want to sail across the Pacific Ocean? I think you need some help before yeah. you tackle that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An eight-foot? You can do it with an eight-foot sailboat? No, no I wouldn't do it with an eight-foot sailboat. I, don't, I wouldn't no. do it in a sailboat because I don't know how to sail. But that's, that's a, so what do I know? All right. But I want to get back to that the number two style, the one where there's the, the wines that are impenetrable. And, um, yes. you know, those are the wines of the um, work, really cool and you aren't school of hospitality. Right. There and, are no, first of all, rule number one, no Chardonnay on the list. Right. No Cabernet on the list. Right. The two wines that, that are the by far the largest The best selling wines yeah. in America, you're not going to find any of those. Right? right. And number three, goes without saying, no White Zinfandel. Yeah, no White Zinfandel. Which, right. you know, is, yeah, that's that's another right, so point. get those out of your mind. Because, right. Because now let's see what we can order from around the world that you have never heard of. So I, I'm going to go back to Besha Rodell of the LA Weekly um, okay. and her talking. This is more specific, but it's pretty funny. She says, the wines are grouped not by style or region or varietal or, or even by such fuddy-duzzy designations as white or red, <laughs> but rather by what looks like random first names, Jerome, Michael, Heather. One recent waitress told me these are the names of the portfolio managers. <laughs> All right. This is the worst example I've ever heard That's of this. That's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. So what is but... it a, cons- a customer is actually supposed to do with this list? <laughs> well, God I have knows. A, I have a plan, by the way. I think I know what I could do with this list. I think you could tear it up into little pieces so that each <laughs> wine would be one piece of paper, throw them into a hat, pull one out, there's your wine yeah. for the day. Well, is that... it going to be red, white, Jerome, or Heather? Who knows? That's, exa- that's exactly. as good a chance as anything else. That's exactly right. And this is... You know, and, and she said one of the other problems there is that there was zero consistency in the descriptions. And this is another common problem when when the places do, you know, lower themselves to have some description of the wine, of the wine. on the on the wine list. Right. The, it's not there. You, you can't compare. It's not apples right. to apples. It's apples to shoes. They're not. <laughs> right. I mean, do I want right. to wear that or buy it? I don't know. You know, and it's it's they're completely nice off. Image, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, and there's, there's plenty that don't have any descriptions. And, you know, we've we're going we're gonna to trot out as we did, I think, just last week. Uh, one of the studies from our friends at the Cornell School of Hospitality, right, where they, right. they said um, that wines that had pairing suggestions, the restaurants that had pairing suggestions sold 30% more wine. Right. And right. descriptions also, so in, in, in script, uh, descriptions increased sales and then pairings really increased sales. Yeah. So, but that, of course, is uncool. Well, Clearly, this restaurant has solved the problem of people complaining about corkage <laughs> because they're not selling any wine anyway, so they should be in great shape. Yeah. Meanwhile, you kind of want to meet the person who put this whole plan together, don't you? Yeah. yeah. You just want to see if, in fact, maybe there aren't a couple of loose wires in the back somewhere. Well, you know, and, and well, as I said to, uh, once again, it's why I'm a fan of Bess you know, she wasn't 
in, as intelligent as she is, I'm going to read one more thing for her in a bit, but as intelligent as her uh, her taking this apart is, yes. you know, she says she's always respected the guy and, in fact, has been one of the sort of innovators in the Los Angeles wine scene in yep. trying to get people to try things Okay. in in personally uh, when he's on the floor right. a very nice way so so but so it, why can't he do uh, what turns to turns to writing a list and all of a sudden he becomes the evil dr moriarty well yes and i think this is one of the problems <laughs> we've you know um I, I actually talked to a lot of bartenders about this, and and what's f- interesting is the craft cocktail scene isn't like this. Uh-huh. And it went, a yeah. couple of years ago, it was where everybody was competing to, with the bar up and down the street, and they all wanted to be the coolest craft cocktail person. And then it started to dawn on them as they heard people complain that they were acting like idiots. They're acting like idiots, and their job <laughs> as bartenders was to be hospitable. Right. Their job is to make you feel comfortable at the end of the day and come in and have a drink of something. Yeah. Thank, and, they, and maybe two. Yeah. So the problem is, is that the a lot of the wine, and there's plenty of nice wine people out there too. But the guys that write these lists, yeah. they're still competing with the guy up the street or the woman up the street. Though right. often it's the guy. Right. And instead of saying, you know, it's one thing to have this great innovative wine list, but if they're not helping their customers, right, they're just they're they're, they're in the way. They're in the way. They're right. In the right. way. So yeah. let me let me read another, her sort of a conclusion to this. Okay. Um, yeah. Which is we should we should invite her on the show. She sounds like she'd yeah, be fun. She'd be great. Um, as a collection of wine, it's a triumph. As a way of presenting the wine to customers in a restaurant, it's a cruel joke. <laughs> and this is a, now she makes the point that I, you and I talk about all the time. She says wine is not yet at a place in the culture where people can giggle at something like this and move on. For many people, it's still intimidating, and a list that promotes the feeling that people are outside of an insider's club is going in the wrong direction. Boy, you could just paste that on my forehead. I'd be happy to look at that every day. I tell you, she says, above all else, the list is a failure of hospitality. Sounds just like one of your parties. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a wine list. <laughs> Actually, sometimes we do. We have a chalkboard, and it's, it's you know, but it's... Um, we we have but you know we have no descriptors no descriptors <laughs> we're terrible right. and but we do have first names um, <laughs> you know yes you're Rick and I'm Paul yeah and I mean I do think I think that I, I agree with you I think that that's that failure of hospitality that list is a failure of hospitality should be tattooed on the arms of every too cool insider wine person particularly bad psalms and and you know what it, that, it, let's be fair this doesn't only happen in restaurants you also have the wine geek who invites people over to their house yeah. and takes it as his usually his role to educate his guests on what they should like instead of what they normally like to drink. Yeah. Yeah. And this is particularly important as we come to the holidays yeah. and your aunt Larry shows up and wants a glass of white Zinfandel and you are telling her that if she aren't, isn't going to drink that Assyrtico from Greece, she is not welcome in your house. And I'm thinking, what kind of a jerk are you? Yeah. So we, we, we're saying to, to you, gentle listener, don't, don't be those people. <laughs> don't and, be those people. And if you're in the hospitality business, which is food and wine, if you want to show off your intellect, we say just join a chess club. Well, I think if you're gonna if you're in the hospitality business and you want to do business like this, you won't be in the hospitality yeah. business for long. Yes, uh, I, I say <laughs> yes. That's true. This is going to take care of itself just fine. Well, and as we like to say around here, we are not about intellect. We are about <laughs> hospitality. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, we will take some questions. We promise we will be hospitable. Stay with us.
You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It's time to take some questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine, and look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free. A little bit of click, that's all it takes. If you're new to us and you want to know what the heck we know about being hospitable... Well, we are hospitable, and we are rarely hostile. We are, except Only, to each other. Uh, and to wine snobs. Yeah, and to wine snobs. Well, so, that, fair enough. Yeah, and I think in all cases, each other and wine snobs, that hostility is totally... Uh, <laughs> totally just, merited. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, and, uh, well, and we're never hospitable if somebody uses the word minerality. That's another one, too. That's, uh, <laughs> all right. right. As particularly Paul, but he is otherwise a respected industry pro. He answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College, at the Culinary Institute of America, all kinds of places around the world. And Rick is a wine commentator for Capital Public Radio in Sacramento, consults with wineries and restaurants all over California, actually wrote a book about wine that made the New York Times bestsellers list. Who knew? Who knew? It was a nice book. We were not hostile. <laughs> all right. Our first question comes from Cheryl in Lodi. Cool. She, she says, this is going to sound silly. My friends are wine geeks, but they're nice about it. They were arguing about the definition of terroir. Uh, honestly, I can't see why it matters, but they do. So I thought I'd get you guys to settle the argument. Excellent. One friend says it's the dirt and the climate. The other says it's more, it's the whole place, whatever that means. Is either of them right, and do I care? <laughs> well, first of all, she doesn't care, and Me God don't. bless you, Cheryl, because yes. um, that's a good thing. Um, so terroir is actually the French word. We It's related to our term terrain, which means the landscape, the place. But uh, the question she's really asking here is a pretty complicated one because there are various definitions right. in and, France. And, lot, and lots of like lots of people really do argue about it. Yeah. Uh, and yes, although I love the definition that was uh, given to me by Warren Winiarski, Stag's Leap Wine Cellars winemaker, owner who made the, the wine that won the great Paris tasting right. of the, 1976. The great Cabernet, in the right. movie, The Judgment of Paris and everything. And he always says it's the three G's. The ground, the grapes, and the guys. Yeah, yeah. Because it well, is, now it's the four G's, the guys and gals. <laughs> Fair the, enough. Yeah. But his point being that the ground matters, the weather matters, the grapes matter, but so does so the, do the hand people. of man. Yeah, and, and that's, that's don't the, get don't please don't forget that. That Be, one's always my favorite description. It does have to include the people. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's and it's everything from the customs to what they do to the wine to what kind of wine they like to right. drink. You know, we we talk about this a lot. And you know, we talk about um, one of you and my both you and I your and mine favorite places. My grammar is awful. Um, is is Italy? We love going to Italy. It's a yes. great place to taste wine. It's a great place to hang out. But one of the joys of of wine in Italy is the joy of wine. From the people making wine in Italy, there right. is there's a joie de wine, or as something. they say in Italian. As they say in Italian, right. <laughs> I don't know joy in Italian, and, uh, <laughs> the, but you know, and so it it, it infuses you when you're there. And frankly, right. it infuses you when you know anything about it. That's it right. It makes the wine taste better. Sure. And so yeah. I think that is a big part. It is yeah. knowing those things yeah. and their approach to wine yeah. makes you love the wine that much more. So this gets back to you know if we if it's just the ground, if it's just the climate and the ground that makes the wine, then the question is, of course, why is it then when an Australian winemaker goes to Italy and makes wine, 
all of the Italians can pick out his wine immediately because mm-hmm. it tastes different sure, from theirs. Right, well, of course it does. It was made by a guy style. who's aiming at a different style. Right. So terroir can't just be ground and climate and grapes. It also has to include the people. And once you start doing that, you begin to realize that as the people change, the styles change, and the idea that you can identify a wine based on its terroir gets harder and harder every year. And I argue that it's actually a complete waste of time at this point in history. Yeah, and 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 lastly, so really, what it comes down to, those are, those are great concepts. There's lovely things. They're really sort of fun on the esoteric level. Yep. I mean, uh, Cheryl, for just your purposes, eh, don't worry about it. it I yeah. will. I will tell. I will say one last thing about terroir, which is I judge for the Concours Mondial de Bruxelles, which is one of the big international yeah. tastings. We are told the vintage but we are not told the region or the terroir of any wine we're Or tasting. what the wine even is. Right. So I'm sitting there with five of the greatest wine judges in the world, and they serve and you. us. And me. <laughs> and they serve us 15 flights of wine over the course of f- three days. We never identify the terroir. So if terroir is such an obvious and critical part of wine identity, why can't the greatest judges in the world pick it out pretty quickly? And the answer is because it's all to smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice thought. All right. Now, so, the French embassy is going to bomb the station at any moment, so true. I suggest uh, we move right along. Yeah, that's true. So, Cheryl, uh, let them argue. Go off and have a glass of wine. Have a nice it. glass yeah. of wine and smile quietly to yourself knowing that they're making fools of themselves. Uh, that's right. All right, this one comes from Paul in Reno. He goes, how come there are so many times? Oh, we, you know, we got this question not so long ago. Uh-huh. Uh, how come there's so many times when I get a wine in a restaurant that I really like, we can't find it anywhere in any store, or sometimes not even online? Right. And the answer hasn't changed because it's a good it's a good question. We well, get this in fact, if it's lot. not online, it's yeah. almost certainly a wine that was produced by a winery exclusive for the restaurant trade. Right. And they're not selling it to consumers, and they're not selling it through retailers, and that's why you can't find it online. And why would they do that? Because they want to protect the restaurant from accusations that they're gouging on pricing. Yeah. By having consumers compare it with a wine in a supermarket. Yeah, that's why there's and that we've, we 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 mentioned this when we answered this question before. That that sort of comes in two styles. You know, one of them is that there's wineries and 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 wine groups that make wine only for restaurants. Right. And then there are also restaurant groups that have wines made for them, for them. specifically for yeah. them for their group, and they yeah. have lovely names. Although um, those usually. Those often have a note that it's made exclusively for the yeah, restaurant. Yeah, for Olive so, Garden or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to pick on Olive, Olive Garden. It's not even a pick on. It's just, you know, yeah. it's, that's a cool thing, too. And the, and there is also the time, too, and we've we've talked about this as well, that, that there are some, and, and they're really often the, the eclectic places, places that like to have unique wines, that just want you to be able to find something that you would, giving you an experience that you won't have somewhere else. Right. Not although, although those wines are probably available online. They probably are available online, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. If you so can find, if you can't it online, find them online, you can't. All right, that's exactly right. That is a restaurant-only right. wine. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What uh, else you got? This was from Jackie Naiman, a regular listener in Fresno, part of our res- Fresno enclave. Good, excellent. And uh, she has a simple one, but I kind of like it. Our legs and tears related. Do they tell me if the wine is good? I know you guys talked about this once, but I wasn't really listening. <laughs> so she's our regular station on, but well, not listening. Well, I listener. think she's much like you and me, Rick. What? <laughs> you see, exactly. set up. Yeah, uh, I know, I know. Yeah. So you're the one who runs. What do legs and tears have in common? Yeah. The, when your legs hurt, you well, cry, Well, yeah, you right? cry. It's true. In my case, most of the time now, uh, they are the same thing. Uh, they, they, 
The tears are what you call it if you're taking a sommelier test. <laughs> Legs right. are whatever else call it. Once, when you swirl the wine in your glass, what dribbles down the inside of the glass is called either the legs or the tears. What dribbles down the outside of the glass is called you made another mess, Rick, go get a towel. Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, here's I, I want to quote my friend Karen McNeil, a friend of both of ours, uh, and is a the line, author of the Wine Bible. The Wine Bible, New Wine Bible, is just out. We're giving her a free plug because I like Karen. Uh, in any case, she says legs on wine, like the legs on a woman, have no bearing on quality. Ah, but you know that makes me feel like Karen is slightly. I think she's conscious about, about her, her legs. legs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which, as I recall, I think Karen is quite an attractive I think lady, she has so. very nice legs, but now we are in trouble for even bringing now it up. Now we're just dead Yes, meat. but as she's a quality woman. How can we say that and get out of it? So, but the answer, Jackie, is no. It, it is. Well, it, here. Uh, it's let a me, measure of a couple of things. A little background. In the old days, wine in Europe was grown in regions that basically still is, for that matter, in basically at the coldest extremes of where those grapes would grow. So a good year was when the grapes got really ripe and lots of sugar, and a bad year was when they didn't get ripe and they didn't get a lot of sugar and the flavors were kind of green. Today, they're better at it. Today in California, we don't have a problem getting grapes ripe. We always get our grapes ripe. The one way you measure how ripe the grapes were in a wine is the body of the wine because that sugar in the high, highly ripened grapes turns to alcohol and glycerol, and that's what makes those tears. So when you swirl the wine around and it's got those big, thick, dribbly... 20 W50 kinds of tears, that means the grapes got very ripe. Does it mean the wine tastes better? No, no, no it doesn't. It's, it's not until you actually taste the wine. And right. it is, it's something that uh, if somebody's studying the sommelier test, they are required to evaluate and guess right. at. At the same time, yeah, it's a it's, great little parlor game and has nothing to do with I mean, yes. drink the wine. If the wine tastes good, it's a good wine. If it I, doesn't taste good, don't worry about the legs or the tears. Yeah, I like to think of us as a parlor game. And, uh, and You're the legs and I'm the tears? Yeah, I always think we're both responsible for a lot of tears. Um, <laughs> and so that we're going to stop answering questions for a moment. And well, we that'll are, stop the yes. tears. <laughs> and uh, But uh, we come right back. We're going to uh, answer. We're going to have uh, some horrible wine writing. We'll oh be right boy. back. Listen to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Gentle and restrained as always, it is time for horrible <laughs> wine writing. Okay, I got one. I got these guys who always talk about the wine. This, they sound like football coaches who talk about in the football game. Yeah. The guy's been coaching football teams for 40 yeah, years, yeah, and yeah. he's got to say it's in a the football, football game. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here is one description. The wine is medium straw with secondary medium green. The wine displays a ruby opalescence. The wine is garnet. I'm sorry. Are we talking about the wine Yes, well, we are. Uh, you know what I like? Well, and this is the other part of it. Th that's the guy that also that also has uh, to tell you like what the wine looks like in some test form, right? So it's the thing that you know that it, do I do I really care? Well, you say this all the time. How many red wines aren't garnet? Really? <laughs> that's right. They're either garnet or ruby. That's yeah. what you got to go yeah, for. There. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty reddish. Yes, yeah. but I know that the wine. <clears throat> yes, it is. And is that football? That was a that was a great football play. Right. Yeah, was, that, <laughs> not much in terms of ballet, but then yes. it's not ballet, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that that wine was a a, a great a great 
a, a great wine. That that wine was the one. All right, I got a simple one. <laughs> this is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this is. Yes. From winery material saying, by the way, and that was me choking up about this. I can see that. This is this guy is selling me wine. This is what he says. The wine has complex layers of rich, dark flavors, including berries and spice. That's it. That's wow. It. I'm sold. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was like, what that was, that was the boiled down version of every generic, lousy marketing thing into one really short, useless sentence. No, he read sentence. the Cornell study. He yes. saw the words that sell wine. He put the five best words in one sentence and said, we're done here. Well, I'd like to think that you and I have... Uh, Influenced that. I was going to say we have complex layers of something, um, but... Uh, Do we include berries and spice? Yeah, well, I've been called a little spicy. <laughs> All right, you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe for free with just a click or ask us a question at Wine. Dot com, all one word. When we come back, we are going to have some history and a whole bunch more stuff, like some more questions. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, the trumpets. I know they're so special with you, Paul. You know, I just think once, Rick, once we ought to hand those guys a different piece of music and see if they can play it. Uh, I've been told that's all they know. (laughs) They are limited. Uh, But talented at what they they do. do. Yes. That's right. I wish we could say that about something. (laughs) (laughs) This is is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. As we just said, it is time for our historic history moment of the week. Paul, what do you got? Well, I was thinking of going back to some of the oldest lists of wines in the world, and these go back more than a thousand years BC to the ancient Egyptians who had lists of wines, including an inventory list of the wines in King Tut's tomb. These weren't these weren't actually restaurant lists because they weren't. They didn't have restaurants. They didn't have restaurants. That's but the start. They were lists of wines that they were keeping track of, so sort of inventories. In mm-hmm. fact, there's even a theory amongst the people who study this stuff that the invention of writing may have come to keep track of a few basic things that they had inventory of, and one of them would have been wine or beer, alcoholic beverages. So I think we can safely say that without wine, there would be no writing today. There you go. You know, that, I, doesn't that add an interesting perspective to bad wine writing? I I make that argument all the time. Without without wine, there wouldn't be writing. Well, it certainly would be less bad writing. You know, legend has it, by the way, about those um, those ancient lists that ancient Egyptian sommeliers wrote them so they'd be unfathomable. That's right. They used all those weird, funny shapes and yeah. things instead of just putting it out in normal English. Yes. Well, mine's uh, mine's a little different. Um, I was when we started talking about wine lists. Um, I started thinking, and so I was looking for some interesting wine lists from interesting time. Uh-huh. And I came across the 1943 menu and wine list from Copacabana Nightclub in New York, which in 1943 was the place, the to, place be. to go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. And so I bet I bet you were thrown out of there at some point. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was I was a little old at the time. <laughs> Actually, uh, if, if I had never been to Copacabana because, of course, I am too young. But if I had been able to go there, I would have been thrown out. <laughs> it's, uh, they would have had the good sense to <laughs> All right. So here's what I liked about it is some of the things that they carried um, they and, and the prices, which actually, as you mentioned, looking at these prices, were actually steep for the time. But these they are sound pretty expensive prices. Massively inexpensive. For yeah, us. well, it's, a, it's so, the Copacabana. All right. So the American wines, like they called them at the time, they called them Chablis, Claret, 
Muscatel, Saturn, Rhone, Chianti. We have talked about this in the past right. where Americans at the time were calling wines by European names. Right. This is there on the list. They were all 350 in a bottle. 350 Now, I want to be really clear about this. This is in 1943. That's $3.50 a bottle. Yes, $3.50. Now you can go to restaurants in New York and you can order three fifty a bottle, but there is three hundred and fifty dollars per bottle. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, and then they had a, a more slightly more expensive wines with like American champagne is what they called it, which included our friends Corbel, mm-hmm. Corbel Brut for seven dollars a bottle. Good French champagne, eleven dollars a bottle. Uh, excuse me, they had eleven of them yep. on the list. So they had they had many many more of them than they had of America. They had seven uh, wow, American 11 champagnes on, list, champagnes 11 on the list. Eleven different French champagnes, including yeah. Vide Clouquot, which is a uh, very commonly known. Right. And they were all fifteen dollars. Uh, they had a, a nineteen twenty nine Bollinger. Which would have been so a, that's a fifteen-year-old bottle of Bollinger for fifteen dollars a bottle. Yeah. I would buy that in us. James second. Bond would be proud. Oh yeah, that's I'd would, buy yeah. that in a heartbeat. And a couple others too. So then, and uh, some of the imported wines. Yes, they were red Burgundy, white Burgundy. So that's Pinot Noir and and Chardonnay. Yeah, white Bordeaux, red Bordeaux. That's what they called them. People knew what those meant at the time, which but they didn't apparently care what chateau it was. It was just no, red or right. white. Yeah, That's right. Right, right, right. Did not list the winery name, just the just thing. Just the type. And I'm sure they changed. Oh, they did, and those were all $7. Although they did have two of the now most expensive wines on the planet, Chateau Margaux and Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. Those were, no vintage though, $8 a bottle. So regular Bordeaux, $7 a bottle. Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, $8, $8 a, a bottle. bottle. Boy. I, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. yeah. At that at that rate right now, most red Bordeaux would be selling for between seven hundred and nine hundred dollars a bottle. And re- and remember, we have 80. talked about we have, right we have talked about it in a, a recent show. I think it was last week, even about restaurant markups. Right. And so right. this was you know this is this is their big markup from what they were sure. paying for this thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Probably two or three dollars a bottle. Um, they also just to put it in perspective, they had like uh, sherry's by the glass, and this is a thing that's really changed in America. I was going to say no gl- wines by the glass except for these dessert wines. But they huh? also had eight sherry's. And and nobody, nobody, nobody carries sherry now. Right. But that maybe was a, one sherry on the dessert list. Yeah, somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, but yeah. that was a common drink. Yep. And it was, it was good, seventy-five cents to a dollar. The good stuff was a dollar. They had yeah. eighteen bourbons, twenty-eight scotches. Wow. They were scotch drinkers and bourbon drinkers, and they were all eighty-five cents to a buck for a so, uh, yeah. scotch drink. Yeah. Yeah. A, that's a, good. That's. Yeah, I'm still going for the Chateau uh, Margot and Chateau Lafitte Rothschild at eight dollars yeah. a bottle. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that would be the bargain hunter there. Uh, <laughs> if only I could have gotten into the Copa, but they wouldn't that's have let right. me. <laughs> okay, that's right. all right. So we're talking about wine lists, among other things, and we were talking about one of the kinds that, while less common, is in some ways the most nefarious, which is when the restaurant's actually trying to put something over on you. Yeah, and wineries sometimes make this easier. Um, for example, there are wineries that have two different tiers of wines. They have the Napa Valley version, and then they have the California version. Mm-hmm. And both of them have the same name, but one of them is, you know, Vintner's Selection, and one of them is Estate or something sure. like that. Oh, yeah, that's really common. But then right. you put it's it on boys. the wine list, and you use the less expensive wine, but you put the name of the more expensive wine on the list and hope nobody notices, and you charge a lot more money for it. Yeah. The story I'll tell you, which is really to me, the perfect example of this, I was once traveling with the guy who was the winemaker for uh, Mum Cuvée Napa, the sparkling wine house yeah. in the Napa Valley, yeah. owned by Champagne Mum. Right. 
and we went out to a really nice restaurant in New York, and he said, well, you know, I see that they've got a mum product on the list. Let's order the mum Cordon Rouge, which is sort of the, 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 brute, the classic brute wine of champagne mum. And let's say it was 50 bucks a bottle on the list or 60 bucks a bottle on the list. So he orders a bottle of this. The waiter comes over with a bottle of Mum Cuvée Napa, the wine this guy actually made, right? Mm -hmm. Which intentionally is made to be about maybe $10 a bottle less expensive than the Cordon Rouge because the French don't want the two products competing with each other on price. Right. He comes over, shows the winemaker, the man who made the bottle he is showing, shows the guy this wine and says, we're out of the Cordon Rouge, but we have this reserve wine from Champagne So he says Mom. it's the higher version. It's more expensive, but I'll let you have it at the same price. Oh, so he jacked up the price and pretended he was even more expensive. When, in fact, it was less expensive. Ooh. And the winemaker got really hot, and I had to stand up and say, let me take care of this. And I went over and talked to the manager, and I said, you guys are doing something that is absolutely inexcusable, dishonest. And I believe I said nefarious. Nefarious. I, well, I heard you say Said earlier. I, like I think that's a good, I think it's a good I word. I think nefarious yeah, is a good yeah, word. I never, yeah. Oh, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty bad to one. The winemaker yeah. himself. Yeah. Yeah. And that is and that's that well, that's the worst version of that. You know, there's the, there's a handful of restaurants. You know, I I have run across one or two, and you know, the good news is often in the case, these kinds of restaurants, they tend to fail. Right. And they tend to fail because they're doing this to all kinds of things, not just yep. the wine, but to the food. And, yep. and people start to figure it out pretty yep. quick. Yep. But, you know, one of the ones that um, that is when we talked earlier, we had that question about the labels, the mystery wine, the restaurant only labels. Right. But these are right. mystery wine at a whole different level. It's the <laughs> these are the five dollar wines in the world. But right. because nobody knows them, they're on the list at sixty three dollars. Exactly right. That's right. And I run. I did. I didn't. And I knew a one, the reason why I knew I ran across this restaurant in Los Angeles not so long ago, and one reason I knew it was because one of the restaurants that I do some work for had uh -huh. seen it on the offerings to them. Right. And and to them it was four dollars a bottle. Right. You know, right. Uh, suggested to sell at six right. fifty a glass. Now there is a flip side to this, which is sometimes in wine shops, particularly large wine shops where they're you know. Let's say maybe not everybody there is paying attention. You can sometimes go in and find, for example, the California version and the rare estate vineyard select version, and you'll discover that the store staff just went around with the pricing gun, didn't read the labels carefully, oh, yeah. and you're now able to buy the rare reserve estate bottled vineyard select for eight ninety nine, which is what the California one. And does. they are required by law to sell you what it's what it's been labeled at. Read so, your labels carefully. Yeah. So. That that is that that's a good one actually yeah it's yeah. something to keep an eye out for yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was like the time when we went to McDonald's and got a regular hamburger but it was an accidental double burger doesn't had, get they, any better than they that, had to does charge it? us the eighteen cents or whatever the heck it was in nineteen seventy five and what wine did you drink with this it's double mint well I think it was a milkshake because I was about five <laughs> <laughs> yeah although I think a wine would have been better actually yeah, yeah I think although, uh, okay uh, you are listening to Bot Talk with Rick and Paul I think we have. Uh, I think I'm shaking the milk out of this subject, and we are going back to our mailbag. And by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, we will give you full credit or not, as is your preference. As, as whatever you prefer. Yes, many prefer to be not associated with us. We can't blame you. Well, some people, I'm convinced, just send a phony name in so that we think we're giving them credit, but in fact, it's their brother-in-law or someone else. Yes, that... and actually, the truth of it is, I'm not Rick. 
<laughs> and I'm not Paul. Yeah, I'm actually Paul. He's Rick. <laughs> this is RickandPaulWine.com. All right, let's take some questions. Uh, does Suzanne Liu, this is Suzanne Liu in Pleasanton. She gave us her last name, so she's clearly making it up. Mm. <laughs> is there some kind of, <laughs> I like this question, is there some kind of legal requirement of secret wine club rule or secret wine club rule that everyone in the wine industry must always get their pictures taken holding a glass of wine? <laughs> <laughs> if they're a winemaker or a sommelier, don't they think we know they drink wine? <laughs> Suzanne, I like Suzanne. Suzanne, I am, you know, I teach classes on how to take photographs and communicate about wine and all this stuff. And I am actually going to use this in my classes. It's such a great question because it's not only that they're holding the glass of wine, they're doing a one of th- two things to it. They've either got their nose stuck in the glass yeah, because yeah. they're pretending to smell it or the classic Brother Timothy pose. And they're holding it up to the light. Holding yeah. it up to the light to admire the garnet color, which is the color all red wines are. Right. So there you go. It's a wonderful. There is another. There's another pose too, where their arms are folded. I'm folding my arms because this is radio. And then you know, in that little folded <laughs> arms, the the wine glass is sitting. Yeah, that's we, the rugby we got, players pose. We got a question not so long ago about somebody who said, and and why are they always wearing too tight suits? <laughs> and that's because when you work in the wine industry, you tend to eat and drink a lot, and they weren't too tight when they were bought. Yeah. they just grew into them. Yeah, it's it's you know is because um, and the, the the real simple answer is because many of those people have not taken Paul's marketing class. So and and they think that that's what they're supposed to do. So I was speaking at a conference a while back in Spain, and they interviewed me at the local newspaper to get some information about what I was talking about. And at the end of the interview, they said we'd like to take a photograph of you with a glass of wine to illustrate the story. And I said great and. What I was talking about was the importance of not just dealing with technical issues when you talk to people about wine. You have to tell the background story. Every wine has a story. So I'm telling this whole thing, and the guy says, okay, now what we'd like you to do, Mr. Wagner, is like you to go over there, stand against the window, and hold the wine up and smell it. And I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. That Everybody always has their picture taken that way. It's stupid. I d- Here's what I'm going to do. You can take as many pictures as you want, but in the end you have to take one picture I want. And he said, okay, what's the picture? And I stood and looked at him, and I held the wine up, and I held my ear <laughs> to the wine, right? You know yeah. what picture ended up on the front page of yeah, the newspaper sure. the next day? Because yeah. it was different. Right, right. The the one picture that I will allow, because I'm a sucker for these, is this, you know, so often, especially these are winemaker pictures, boy or girl, it's them and their dog. Oh, but, sure. But if the only if the dog's drinking wine. Well, <laughs> does the dog has it, have it, its nose in a glass? Yes, of, the dog should. You know, they, uh, he one, can smell better than we friend can, of mine so is, why not? He is the most powerful wine writer in Spain, Jose Pinin, and he always says you can learn so much more by meeting the winemaker's dog than you can ever learn by looking at his barrels or looking at his tank. And I That's love true. that line. That's true. So what do you, what happens if the winemaker's dog is like a little poodle with a funny haircut? I'm sure he makes very interesting wines. Yeah, I suppose. All right. This next one comes from Elizabeth in Santa Rosa. She said, well, what does meritage mean? My husband says it has something to do with Bordeaux, but he doesn't know what. Um, I'm not sure he knows what Bordeaux is either. That's the part I was giggling at, which is fine. But I think he's just making stuff up. Um, is it meritage or meritage? Well, we've answered this one a lot, but we will answer it again because it's it's actually supposed to be, it's a made-up frame, a right. made-up word that's supposed to mix heritage, 
Right. The American word and merit. So, right. So heritage <laughs> rhymes with meritage or vice versa. Right. That's so the think pronunciation is easier. Although you, you simply want to call it meritage because it looks like it should be French. Yeah, but you know, it's the Willamette. It's not, you know, it's the I Willamette, it, I, damn it. I it's, call it Willamettage. Willamettage. Oregon. So it is the same blend of grapes as is used in Bordeaux. And those grapes are, I hope you're taking notes at home, Elizabeth, <laughs> Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc. Malbec and Petit Verdot. Any wine that's compar- comprised of those five varieties and then pays its fees and yeah, asks so to become a, a member of the Meritage Society can call its wine Meritage. Otherwise, you just have to say... Bordeaux blend. It's just Bordeaux blend, or you can call it something like Rick and Paul's favorite red wine yeah. or whatever else yeah. you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, lots of people who make that a wine that is that blend or some version of that blend don't ever say Bordeaux blend. They just, that's right. they just call it... Rick and Paul's favorite wine. Uh, that that'll sell, but make it sell like hotcakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Gotta get this oh, thing yeah. be dead, yeah. dead in a moment. Um, so that's what it is. Yeah. Now they quickly end up in those little shopping carts near the door at two dollars a bottle. <laughs> that's, that's right. All right. And our next one comes from Stephen in North Hollywood. He says. What do you guys think about places like Starbucks or some of the fast food joints, like burger places serving wine? I saw even some Taco Bells have wine. Yeah, well, I'm all in favor of wine being served in more places, not because I think people need to drink more, but I think that anything that gets Americans used to the idea that wine is just part of what you might consume with your normal meal, I think that's kind of a healthy thing. I'm not suggesting people overindulge, but I do think that wine is part of a healthy lifestyle. And sure. Now, Starbucks, what are you going to order up? Double well, double they, latte frappuccino. No, because they have it's for the evening and they have actual food and you, yeah. you know it's not like you're not, Fair you're, not enough. you're not mixing Merlot and frappuccino and, or whatever. Okay. That's Just going a, for an that's alliteration. That's the only thing. Yeah. A macchia, a macchiato, macchiato Merlot. Yeah. 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 I can no, they, they mix everything else in Starbucks. Why wouldn't they mix the wine? Yes. I think that the hard part is ordering the right size. <laughs> of a venti, yeah. please. How do you start with a grande and <laughs> yeah. go up from there? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Uh, but it's a, I, I, I completely agree. I think it's a good trend, to be honest. It, it should not that, once again, it's not like, you know, we everything every place on the planet needs to be serving wine. But it's great that it becomes an it's you got to think it's a pretty unintimidating place place like a to order one Taco Bell. Taco Bell probably the top of your list. And you know what? If I were eating a Taco Bell and they offered me a glass of Prosecco, I'd drink it. I'm hoping they'd have beer. That would be actually well, go, go well with me too. All right, I got one more question. This is from Janice in Susanville. Okay. She says, "Wow, we've reached across the Sierra to Susanville. Yeah, That's great." Yeah. Well, you know, Probably, uh, well, I don't know. I would say Capital Public Radio is up that way. Maybe oh, okay, she's, fair maybe, enough. Maybe that, maybe that, that was the link, we hope. Susan Phil, uh, Janice Susanville says, the waiter at a new restaurant here was saying how they have a bunch of Chardonnays without butter. Like, whoopee, aren't we great? What's wrong with butter? I like buttery Chardonnay. <laughs> I like to, like, whoopee, aren't we great? There is nothing <laughs> wrong with buttery Chardonnay, Janice. Many, many people, including somebody I happen to live with who really makes the rules in the house, on occasion, legs buttery with Chardonnay, so there's nothing wrong. And what's wrong with that is the sommelier yep. saying, whoopee, we have a bunch of wines that don't taste like the wines you like because that makes you feel less welcome, and why would you go back? Right. And it's, that is that one of the uh, you know one of the many cool kid things about the inner inner circle of of wine snobs, which is that you know you are supposed to quote unquote supposed to not like buttery chardonnay, right? Because it's popular, 
Right. You know, and we say this over and over right. is that one of the ways that you're supposed to express your coolness in wine and in other things, too, is to not like things that are popular. Rick, you'll, uh, you'll relate to this. It's like all those people who never watch television. You, as a television writer for many years, I'm sure you met a number of people who never watch television. Yes. And then, because and, tele- and then it turns out they knew all the oh, stuff course. that was going on in television. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, what they, yeah, yeah, same, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, so, and that's the thing is that it's kind of one of the, you know, Chardonnay is, as itself, because it's so popular, it's the most the popular, most popular wine. wine in America. Yeah, and so it's uncool to like Chardonnay because. Uh, because it's like watching television. Because because it's you like what other people like. Ooh, forbid, how creepy yeah. is that? Yeah, and it's okay for the guy to say, you know, we have a whole bunch of Chardonnays, and including and spect- some without. A spectrum of yep. styles. Yeah, if you don't like butter, we got those. If you don't like it, and, and you know, uh, I've, I, in fact, I just did a tasting with some shards and you know and some of them were with butter some of them were unoaked some of them were completely Should be pointed out that nobody's putting butter in the shards yes right? it is a, it's a, it's a process function of, yes it has function a, of how a flavor. the wine is made and um, and you had a big, a big room and it was like you know 65 70 people in there and I make them vote when I do these events uh-huh. which one do you like best and the room was completely split you know I have never done a tasting with uh, I often do tasting six wines I've never done a tasting and said Okay, so who likes this wine? I've never done a tasting where there wasn't at least one person in the room who liked Every wine had its fans. Yeah, right? yeah, always, I mean, always, always, always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody that, likes something, and thing. nobody likes not everybody. And everybody likes something different. Well, and that is actually the thing I always like to point out when you get, especially when I got enough people in the room that there's going to be sort of the statistical average yep. of it being spread. Every wine has its fans, and that's what I say. This is the whole point. You can you get to like what you like. You drink what you like. That's there's right. a reason why you like it. Never let people tell you, you what you, to drink. You could even listen to us. Well, don't listen to us. If no, you, I mean listen to our show. Just don't let. <laughs> tell you what to drink. We will tell you what to try. And that's really the thing. Let people tell you what to try. Let them tell you why you should try it. But you make up your own mind. And then make up, your, up own your own mind. Absolutely. All right. And we're hoping that you've made up your mind to stay with us just a little bit longer because you've got a food and wine pairing come up. And that is it for questions. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rigandpawwine.com. All one word. We will be right back. listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we have a food and wine pairing for you. It is the season, you know, we're here We're here deep in the middle of November. It's the thing that uh, I really like this time of year because I like the vegetables that you can do this with, although other roasted things are well, but it is roasted veggies. Roasted veggies, so yeah. zucchini and cauliflower with some garlic and salt and rosemary? Yeah, or? well, in my house, it's it's cauliflower and broccoli and mushrooms and okay. some carrots. And yeah. and then it's a, a, a little bit of uh, uh, olive oil and then salt and pepper. Yeah. Good. And if yeah. you get enough olive oil, I'm going for a nice red wine with that because you got the smokiness. I like like a Rhone-style red wine or maybe a Syrah tastes pretty good. Um, or what the heck, um, you know, if you're really going the veggie style, don't have as much olive oil and more green veggies, even a sort of a bigger, richer Sauvignon Blanc might go for a completely yeah, different reason. Yeah, but I yeah. like the I like yeah. the roasted roan, and I'm already feeling like it's raining outside, and we need to crack a bottle open pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it lunchtime? It is closing in. You know, roasted veggies are a hard thing to get for lunchtime. I love roasted vegetables, and actually, yeah. one of the things I like that happens is they get a little caramelized, they get a yeah. little 
real sweet. So, you know, to answer, uh, to go along with our friend Janice in Susanville, I like buttery Chardonnays. There you go, buttery yeah. Chardonnays. I think it really picks up the, the richness of it. Um, uh-huh, the uh-huh. flip side of it is then I'm with you on kind of the earthy roasted stuff. And and I li- and Rones are great, the Southern mm-hmm. Rones kind of stuff. But I also like, you know, so the, the earthier could, Pinots. Could there be in the middle of this bed of roasted vegetables, could there be like a small duck or a chicken? There could be. Actually, well, that's not a bad thing. You know, okay. we did roasted duck not so long ago, yeah. so let's then, have a roasted chicken. Then we're really then I'm really going for roan if we Yeah, can yeah, I, yeah. Then, roasted chicken picks up that yeah. kind of stuff. Although and once again, do I again, have to share that with anybody or can I eat no, the well, whole have, chicken and you, all the you vegetables can eat the, just by myself? Yes, you have to share your wine, but you can't eat your chicken. <laughs> well, and you know, that's uh th- those are so so all right, this is a, this is a food kind of a question when you're doing this and you put them together. What do you focus on with the pairing? Do you focus on the meat? Do you focus on the vegetables? The olive oil and the garlic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really and, always the sauce. And roasted, it? you know. So you've got that, you, as you said, the caramelized. The, if there's some potatoes in there, they're a little toasty on the sides and all the rest. So that's what says to me, yeah, you want something that's got a little power to it. Yeah. You know, I think another thing that also kind of defines what goes well with dishes like this that are mm. pretty versatile dishes is almost like you just said, what the weather is outside. Yeah. If it happens to be a nice, sunny, warm day that turned out, then uh, then that my buttery Chardonnay is sort of perfect. Right. If it happens to be a dark, rainy day, but the wind's blowing, and yeah. then, then uh, that big red, red, that that ro- big red roan, I'll get it out. That um, that that'll work just fine too. Cool. Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, we got. Uh, well, that's what we got. All right. So, well, that's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Pacini. Thanks, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, we will try to give it an answer. We will probably get it wrong, but we will take a whack at it <laughs> and simply go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And you can subscribe on iTunes uh, for free. Just find us. If you learned anything about uh, anything today, we hope it's be hospitable, particularly if you're in the wine business. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Uh, especially with us.